Welcome to the WRSU Crew, the revolutionary show to hear all things sports, from your very own Rutgers Athletics to the hot topics in all professional and collegiate sports from around the globe. Coming to you from your own Rutgers students. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your ride with the crew. Welcome to the crew on this Tuesday edition. I'm Dylan Allen, and it'll be Doug Willig as well on the Opal tonight. We're going from 6 to 7. Some big NBA games tonight. Celtics and Nets get Game 2 action. Uh, Let's start there, Doug. Celtics and Nets faced off the other night for Game 1, and the Nets won 104 to 93. Take me through your thoughts about the, about that game and just the series overall and, you know, kind of what you expect to see tonight. Yeah, Dylan. Yeah, what's up? You know, I'm happy to be on the show today. Like you said, 6 to 7. Anyone listening, you know, normally we'll be on 6 to 8 for Tuesday crew, but 6 to 7 today because our host, Christian Vasquez, uh, could not make it. It's all good, though. We'll be on from 6 to 7. And now I want to answer that question, right? Net Celtics, like you said, game one, Nets one. I'm not going to say the Nets won that handily because they did trail for a little bit, but the big three for the Nets is what really stepped up in that game. I'm going to pull up the box score real quick uh, as we get ready for game two, which is going to be starting in about an hour and a half, hour and 27 minutes or so. That's tipping off at 730 and it looks like my ESPN app is being a little annoying, so I don't have those stats up for me for myself right now. But- yeah, well, they, to give the listeners a bit of a preview, Doug, it was pretty much just the big three. I mean, Kyrie had 29 points on 11 of 20 shooting. Harden had 21 points, and Durant had 32. The Nets bench had 11 points. And they only had four guys come off the bench for them in this game. So with 11 points coming off the bench and pretty much everything coming from that big three, it was just a little bit too much for Boston to handle. And, you know, you're right, Doug. The Celtics have kind of kept this closer than a lot of people thought. I mean, they held Brooklyn to 16 points in the first quarter. Uh, and they were, I believe they were shooting like 0 of 10 from three after the first quarter. Or maybe it was at halftime. I don't remember which one. But they were, you know, Brooklyn was not shooting the ball well at all. Uh, and then they come back and score 31 in the second quarter, but still give up 32 to the Celtics in the second quarter. And they were trailing at the half, uh, I believe. So, you know, it's they had a tough first half, but once they kind of got the ball rolling, you know, they held, uh, they held Boston the 20 points in both the third and fourth quarter, and they scored 31 and 26 to close it out. Um, so, you know, it, in my opinion, Doug, the fact that they won this game by 11 points and they started out shooting 0 for 10 from downtown, just shows me how like lethal this team really is. I mean, Durant shot one of eight from three the whole game. One of three, or one of eight. Irving shot two of eight, and Harden shot two of eight. All from right. three-point land, and they still won by 11 points. Right, and Dylan, you know, all great points. And just as you said that, I was able to pull up the box for, box score for this game. My app was crashing before, but I got it up now. And yeah, you know, you just brought up some of those uh, shooting numbers for the Nets. Looking over on the Celtics side, Jason Tatum was 6 of 20 from the field. Kemba Walker only 5 of 16. Fournier 3 of 10. Of course, Jalen Brown out for the season, so he's not playing. And yeah, they just did not have a great performance shooting-wise for Boston. 11 of 30 from 3. 31 of 84 overall was not a great performance. You know, even though they were decent in that first half, up by 6 at halftime, as you mentioned, 
Just not a great shooting performance from their stars. You know, they led into the third quarter, but then there was a turn. The Nets went on a little run, you know, like three, four minutes into the into the third, and then they controlled it through the second half. Boston did keep it close, but Nets won handily with that 10-digit win, or double-digit win, excuse me, by 11 points. And I think that continues tonight into Game 2. And, you know, we got lots of series, you know, eight first-round series to talk about. So we'll keep, me and Dylan, we'll keep that going on the crew. But for now, focusing on this Game 2, I think now that the Nets are learning to play with each other, you know, if you're an NBA fan, you've heard the stat 100 times, Durant, Irving, and Harden only played eight games together in the regular season. And sure, they're all superstars, but we know chemistry is a real thing in the NBA. Obviously, on paper, this team, when fully healthy, should be able to beat anyone. That being said, if you don't know how to play with each other, that's going to hurt you a little bit on the court. And now that the, the superstars are kind of learning to gel with each other and with all those contributing pieces and Bruce Brown, Joe Harris, Nicholas Claxton, all those role players who can come up and have big games from here to here, you know, Joe Harris led the NBA in three-point percentage in the regular season, second time in his career he's done that. So great pieces on the Nets that can contribute. And as they learn to play with each other, I think, you know, I think they should win this first-round matchup, not guaranteeing it, but I think it's pretty likely. So assuming they win this first-round matchup, that should really help in the second round, you know, the conference finals. You know, this team is looking to go far. They have championship aspirations. And as they kind of learn to play with each other for the first round, that, assuming they advance, should help in the further rounds. And to add to that, too, I think, you know, I think the Nets will win this series. I think in a matter, honestly, I think it'll be either a sweep or maybe five games. I'll give Boston maybe one win in this series. Just just for the sole fact that Brooklyn started off so slow in this game, we're able to come back and still hold Boston under 100 points, and we're still able to win by double digits, even with the slow start. And like I pointed out with their three guys shooting one of eight and then two of eight from three. Um, so... I think Brooklyn will win this series, you know, in four or five games. But to add to that, if Boston wants to have a better chance, um, you know, to to win this series or to even win, you know, two two or three games to bring this to six or seven, I think that they did a good job defensively against Brooklyn, held them to 104 points, uh, and, and you know, really limited the shooting from the outside. They just you know, guys like Jason Tatum really have to pick it up. I mean, you, you mentioned it when you were going over their box score. Six of 20 from the floor. Only shot four three-pointers, which is kind of a low number for him. Uh, but one of four from there. Kemba Walker shot three of seven from there, so not too bad. But he shot five of 16 overall. So he only made two shots outside of three-point range that whole game. Uh, you know, Evan Fournier, three of 10. Marcus Smart, six of 13. So not too bad. But their main starters, you know, they really have to pick it up. Evan Fournier played 40 minutes and only scored 10 points. Uh, Marcus Smart, 40 minutes, 17 points. He, that, that was the second uh, on the team. And Tatum had 22 in 41 minutes. Uh, and and it, It's guys like Kemba, too. He's only playing 27 minutes, Kemba Walker. And I feel like he should be playing a little bit more minutes there, in my opinion. Only 15 points. Uh, I think he should be up in the 40-minute range, too. But I think for Boston, if they want to have a chance to, you know, kind of... Uh, you know, t- turn some heads in terms of expectations because, like I said, I think Bos- Brooklyn's going to win this in four or five at the most. Um, they have to continue this defensive approach that they had last time they played them. Limit the, the limit the deep ball. They just have to start making some of their own shots to help them out. I mean, they shot 36 percent as a team from behind the arc, not too great, but they held Brooklyn to twenty three and a half. So when you can do that, 
if you can just shoot the ball just a little bit better, I feel like Boston has, you know, a decent chance to really claw themselves back into the series. And you mentioned Jalen Brown out for the year, too. That really doesn't help them whatsoever. I feel like, honestly, Doug, if they had Jalen Brown in game one, I think Boston could have came away with a win in Brooklyn. From the way that the Nets played, if you add a guy who's going to give you 20-some-odd points a, points a night, add that to your team, who's who's a good defender as well, Boston could have easily won game one with the way Brooklyn was playing. Yeah, Dylan, I definitely agree. I think, you know, just my final thought on this series, and then you could say a final thought before we move to the others, but I think that just the Nets and, you know, I already mentioned this point, but I really see this as a good opportunity for the the team to learn to play with each other. Because you look at the Celtics, I mean, Kemba Walker – I know he's had a good career, but he, I just don't know. He's probably the second best player on this team. I know Marcus Smart is elite defensively, but, you know, just this Tatum-led team, if Tatum has, you know, a couple more cold shooting nights, you can't afford those when you're playing, um, you know, a team like the Nets because the Nets just have so much star power that that alone, like you said, could lead to a sweep. Maybe if we, we know Tatum's gone off, you know, we had 50 points in one in, in the play-in game that they played, uh, I believe, versus... Yeah, he went off. I remember yeah. that against Washington. He had a great right, game. Right. He had a great game. And we were talking about that, too. We all thought, or you thought Boston was going to win. Christian and I had Washington. Right. And then, of course, we saw what happened. And this is just a little side note, but I don't like... Th- those play-in game stats are counted as playing game stats right they're not counted as regular season stats they're not counted as playoff stats so Jason Tatum's 50 point game there just kind of went towards nothing like it doesn't help his regular season or playoff average and I I get that stats are like not the most important thing that you want to get wins but at the same time I feel like you should get credit for those 50 point games and unless someone's like going out of their way to like google playing game stats it's kind of going to go away so I know that's kind of like a nitpicky thing but like if I was working in the league office, I would just make playing game stats count towards the regular season. I know some people, and this is just a little side tangent, but some people might say those playing game stats should count for the playoffs. But I think the way the NBA is counting things right now is that um, at the current moment, these uh, teams that got eliminated from the play-in tournament count as not making the playoffs. So I think that, okay, those stats are not playoff stats, but they should be regular season stats. That's just my little side tangent. That's not a super important thing. That being said, Dylan, do you want to move on to talk about these other series now? Yeah, sure. The next game on tonight is at 10 p.m. on TNT. This this It's part of the, the doubleheader for TNT after Brooklyn and Boston. It'll be the Lakers at the Phoenix Suns. The Suns won game one. I believe it was 99-90. Yes. Um, upset. The upset. Well, you know, it's it's crazy because according to Vegas, it's an upset, but according to the seeding after the regular season, right. you know, it's 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 two versus seven matchup. Two versus seven, and it's crazy. It's crazy that what what happened to the Lakers is such a unique situation that AD and LeBron missed so many games. They slid in the standings. They actually ended up in the play-in. You know, that big regular season storyline was: wait, are, are they going to end up in the play-in? They did. They beat the Warriors handily, or not handily, but one hundred three, one hundred. LeBron had that game-winning shot. But now they're the seventh seed. It's weird because I think, in my opinion, the Lakers are the team most likely to make it out of the Western Conference and make the finals. I know there are other contenders. I know the Clippers are good. I know that the Jazz and the Suns are the top two seeds. 
But in my opinion, I think the Lakers are the most likely to make it out. I'll let you share your opinion on that too, but in a sec. But for now, with this game two going on, I think LeBron comes back, has a monster game. I think AD will be fine. I think the rest of the Lakers will be okay. In my opinion, they win this game too. Dylan, what are your thoughts there? You know, it's it's always tough to kind of go against LeBron, especially in the first round. But, you know, first let me just say I was very impressed with Devin Booker. His first ever playoff game, and he scores 34 points, uh, shooting 13 of 26. So he shot 50% and 3 of 7 from beyond the arc in 45 minutes. And don't forget, this, this game did not go to overtime. So he only sat the bench for three minutes this game, which is kind of crazy. It's like Knicks basketball or something. But, uh, you know, it, 34 points against LeBron and the Lakers, and they win 99-90. to And Chris Paul, I believe, got hurt in this game, only had seven points. He did play 36 minutes, though, um, but I believe he was a little hurt during the game. So if I, I, I'm not mistaken. I didn't really watch the game, but if he came back, I'm sure he wasn't playing you know, to his normal self. But you know, winning a game in the playoffs with Chris Paul only having seven points just shows that you know there were other guys involved. Ayton had 21 points, DeAndre Ayton for them, in 37 minutes. Uh, and you had Cam Johnson off the bench with 10 points. I just, you know, it's it's like I said, it's hard to go against LeBron in the first round. But, you know, I, with what I saw from Phoenix, the way that they were shooting the ball and just, I don't know, it just, it, it's a low-scoring game, but they looked like they had Los Angeles. They had figured out defensively. I just think Phoenix, I, I think Phoenix wins game two as well. I, I just like what I saw from Devin Booker. I think he'll continue what he, you know, kind of started in game one with the 34 points. I think that'll carry on to, to game two. I think Phoenix wins this one. Uh, and I think it's going to be 2-0. And Phoenix is 27-9 and at home this year, um, so they, they don't lose at home very often. So I, I have Phoenix winning this game. It's going to be close for sure. I think LeBron and Anthony Davis will kind of figure it out. Um, but I have Phoenix winning this one. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting case. LeBron in his career, LeBron-led teams, or teams that LeBron has been on, are 14-0 and in the first round. So uh, right. this is, yeah, this is LeBron's, I believe, 18th year in the league. So the first two years, he didn't make the playoffs. Then he made it 13 years in a row. Then, or he made it 12 years in a row. They missed it in 18, or they missed it in 19. He won the finals in 20. And now he's back, 2021, his 15th time in the playoffs. So the first 14 rounds, LeBron's never lost in the first round is the most important part of that stat. That being said, I, I don't know. I, I don't think Phoenix has a chance in this series. I know that LeBron-led teams have been tested in the first round before. People might remember in 2018 in the first round, the Cavs played the Pacers. That one went seven, and then the Cavs ended up making the finals that year before losing to the Warriors in four or five. I think I think in five, but it's... It's interesting with LeBron because he's getting older. He's hurt. He's been hurt a little bit. But at the same time, it's still the best basketball player on the planet. So, like, you don't want to bet against him. It's just you don't know. Because you know he can't play forever, right? Right. So, at some point, he's got to – like, when he's 50, right? When he's 50 years old, he's not going to be able to play like this. And he's 36 now. So, at some point over the next, you know, few years, his abilities are going to be gone. I don't think that point's happened yet. You know, we can look over to the NFL and see Tom Brady still somehow playing and winning Super Bowls at age 43. 
So I, I'm not saying LeBron is like done, but at some point it's going to happen. I don't think it's happened yet, and I still think his team is going to make the finals. But if they're going to make the finals, they're going to have to come back from this 1-0 deficit. So I think it's interesting that you picked Phoenix in game two. Ah, I just don't know. I'm going to go Lakers. Well, here's the kicker for me. What I saw from DeAndre Ayton, what he did defensively against against Anthony Davis, I mean, he held him 13 points and only seven rebounds uh, in 40 minutes of play. He was shooting five of 16 overall and 0-2 from beyond the arc. And like I mentioned, Ayton had 21 points, 16 rebounds, uh, and he was 10 of 11 shooting. So... I look at it that way, and I just say that, you know, Aiton did a great job against Anthony Davis in Game 1 defensively, and with Devin Booker shooting the, you know, just being able to shoot the lights out, uh, and with Chris Paul coming back as kind of that floor general that, you know, that still has everything that he's had his whole career, I, I just think it's going to be a tougher test than most people anticipated. Like, I remember when the when the betting odds first came out, and they saw that the Lakers were, I believe, like plus 200, um to win that series, people were just hopping on that to bet that because everyone thought it was going to be kind of like a layup, you know, Anthony Davis, LeBron, all coming back and and, and what have you. But I, I think this Phoenix team is really good, and I think they're underrated. And, you know, I like I said, I think Phoenix will win, but would I be shocked if LeBron and Anthony Davis kind of came back and, you know, got their, you know, what together and, you know, won this game? I would not be surprised at that either. I just, I like what I saw from Phoenix overall in game one. I think with Chris Paul as that veteran He's in that veteran kind of leadership role. I think that's what this team needs. So I think with that uh, presence in the locker room and, and on the floor, I just I think it's you know a good thing for Phoenix. And I was just very impressed with what I saw. I mean, Phoenix. I mentioned Devin Booker dropped thirty four points, but overall as a team, they shot thirty two percent from three, nine of twenty eight, which isn't too great. But when you can play defense and hold the Lakers to twenty seven percent from three. You know, that, that'll win you basketball games. And another thing, too, Doug, you know, the Lakers could have won this game. They missed nine. They missed 11 free throws. They were 17 of 28. They shot 60% as a team. And that's kind of worrisome to me, too, because, you know, it kind of reminds me of Rutgers, in a sense, like Rutgers basketball. Like, they, they have the talent to hang in with these big teams. It's just the free throws at the end of the day just kind of take them out of the game. You know, when they shoot 60% or or 50% as a team and the opponent will shoot 75% as a team and they win the game by a couple points. Meanwhile, you know, you made more shots to them. It's just it comes down to free throws. I think that's another big thing to look at too. Yeah, agreed. You know, those are all great points. I think that, you know, there, there's just so many exciting series. There's so much to talk about in the NBA playoffs. You know, we've just talked about these first two series. Are you cool if we pivot this talk over to the Knicks-Hawks now? Knicks and Hawks, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I'm a big Knicks fan. I was, I was you know, kind of upset about the outcome of Game 1. They lost that, it by, what was it, two points? Yep, Trey Young hit that yeah. game winner with .9 seconds left. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it just, it, it was a tough game. I mean, we, we tied the game up with, I think we gave it back to them with like eight seconds or something like that. Which in my head, I was pumped up that they made the bucket and tied the game up, but I was like, that's too much time. And then they called the timeout and were inbounding on the other side of the court. Uh, and then they inbounded it to Trey Young. They brought in Nilakina, who apparently is like our better defensive, uh, you know, guard, put him on Trey Young. And then I don't know what happened. Trey Young just had so much room to drive. It was like, I don't, I don't know what happened. Somebody got faked, and he just he had the whole paint. Like I'm watching the replay right now. He. He ran from the t- like mid court, all the way to the the little white 
half circle that's there for the charge calls. He literally ran from there to there with nobody in front of him and just dropped a floater in and with about like one second left on the clock. Uh, and, and that can't happen if you're the Knicks. And you, you know, if you're one of the best defensive teams in the league, you cannot allow Trey Young to be that wide open on the final shot of the game when it's tied in game one. Um, you know, that, that can't happen. And as a Knicks fan, you know, it, it stinks because you lose, the, you lose this game 107 to 105 and your best player, Randall, shot 6 of 23 overall. He had 15 points and 12 rebounds. And you only lost by two points. It just, it, it stinks because if he had just, you know, played a little bit better, the Knicks probably would have won this game. Yeah, you know, I definitely agree. And I think that it's, I don't, I don't know. I think it'll be an exciting series. I think that MSG has like a reputation of, regardless of the history, because if we're being fair, the Knicks have not won a final since 73, right? So right. that being said, the you know MSG has a reputation as being a great place to play. You know LeBron has talked about it. Zion has talked about it. Different players have talked about it, and it's it's built a reputation outside of sports, of course, because there's been lots of concerts there. So I, I understand that it's a very iconic place. But if the Knicks like want to build a history there, you know we we need to see some more recent success. They lost those two finals in the '90s, lost in '94 to the Rockets, lost in '99 to the Spurs. But since then. The Knicks have not been super successful as a franchise, made the playoffs in 13 with Melo, and since then, this is their first time back in eight years. So it's definitely something for Knicks fans to be excited for, but we'll see where the success builds. I don't know if you saw this, Dylan, but uh, Bill de Blasio, mayor of New York, at his uh, press conference today, brought up the Knicks series, and he said that he wants Trey Young to stop hunting for fouls. He actually went on a little small speech about this. I thought it was interesting. It's just kind of funny. Uh, I know that Bill de Blasio, for a fact, is not a diehard Knicks fan just because a week ago at the press conference he was wearing a Nets hat and a Nets jersey. So this is mostly just like an act. I guess he's looking to support both of New York's teams. Maybe he doesn't care about basketball that much. I don't know. But interesting of him to call Trey Young out, and he directly called Trey Young out. He went on like he said that that's not basketball. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know if this will fire Trey Young up. I don't even know if he. I mean, I don't know if he cares what Bill De Blasio says. We'll, we'll see what happens. Little fuse like this, he'll probably just ignore it. We'll see what happens in Game Two. But we know that though. I'll say this: even as a Nets fan, I know that the Knicks fan base seems to be larger in a sense, just because those two Knicks playoff games, games one and, or uh, games one and two, they sold out right away. Well, the Nets had to actually de- like they had to put tickets on sale at half price. Yeah, I saw get, that. Yeah, to get fans in the door. One of my friends actually got one of those tickets. He was sitting up in the nosebleeds. But I, uh, I can tell you know through stuff like that that the Knicks fan base is more dedicated. Um, not saying that the Nets don't have dedicated fans. I'm definitely one of them. But it's probably, you know, the Nets are a less storied franchise. They won two ABA titles in 74 and 76 before the uh, ABA and NBA merged. But, you know, the Nets don't really have that storied NBA history. They lost a couple finals in 02 and 03 when they were in New Jersey. But other than that, uh, the fan base is not really there. It, it, it's similar. Nets-Knicks is similar to a Lakers-Clipper situation. It's a little different because the Clippers have, you know, never even advanced to the conference finals. Well, the Lakers have won 17 NBA championships. 
So it's like a massive difference there, and hopefully the Clippers can build up some history with Kawhi and PG. But, yeah, Nets, Knicks. Knicks got more fans. It is what it is. And I'd like to see the Nets win a championship to kind of just build some history here. Yeah, and you know, to go back to the Knicks game too. I mean, Alex Bur- Alec Burks. I mean, had a had a heck of a game. Twenty seven points off the bench. He only played twenty six minutes. I think he had like at least uh, fifteen points in the fourth quarter for just the Knicks alone. Uh, he he single handedly kept them in the game late. Uh, it just wasn't enough. And and to to comment on the Bill De Blasio video, I actually kind of found it pretty funny because you're right. A week ago, he was in he was in an all out Nets. You know, all out Nets apparel with the hat and jersey, I think, and and now he's wearing a Knicks hat and he talks about Trey Young. And to a certain extent, I agree with him. I mean, Trey Young, the way that he plays, is he kind of reminds me of James Harden. They drive to the hoop and they just look for fouls, and that's pretty much what J- Trey Young did. I mean, Trey Young shot eleven of twenty three from the floor and only took three three pointers and was one of three. And he shot nine free throws and had thirty two points, ten assists, and seven rebounds. So. You know, he definitely he definitely does look for fouls down low, but to a certain extent, it's like I'm a Knicks fan, but I agree with the with the with the strategy because it's like the Knicks are one of the best defense. They're, they're, they are the best defense at opponent three point percentage. They are the best at um, you know given uh, points per game given up, uh, and I think they're the best defensively for just a field goal percentage overall. So like the Knicks do a great job defending shooting. So in the Hawks' eyes, they say, okay, well, instead of taking a bunch of three-pointers like every other NBA team does, let's just drive to the hoop with Trey Young and hopefully get a foul call and we'll put him to the line because we know he can shoot free throws. And that's exactly what they did. And he shot 9 of 9 from the line. And a lot of those free throws came in the final quarter there, and it really helped Atlanta you know, kind of edge out that win and you know, the final floater to win the game too. So you know, while as a Knicks fan, I I don't like it because it you know my team lost. At the same time, you got to credit him because it's you know it's a good strategy to kind of go around the Knicks defense that does you know really well defending shooting percentages uh, for the most part. So you know I can't blame him. Uh, and you know it's just it's a, it's a strategy. I mean, when I was a young kid playing basketball, I was always taught to kind of you know do a pump fake, get the guy to jump, and then you jump into him and you get a foul call. I mean that's just simple basketball. You know, trying to get a foul call. I mean, it's just it's it's the way that the game's been played. Uh, I think it's a little bit different than James Harden. However, I just I, I don't I I there's a lot of similarities there. But I, you know, to to kind of comment to Bill De Blasio's video, I, I can't really blame him too much. Yeah, you know, great points there. Six twenty eight. We'll we'll keep it for two more minutes. We'll send us a brief like six thirty. But I I know there's controversy. Of, there's always been controversy about you know how you can draw fouls, when fouls should be called. You know, you bring up the James Harden point because James Harden, of course, is iconic for drawing free throws. He, you know, on multiple occasions have shot over 20 free throws in a game. And it's just, it's interesting. It's really interesting. Jimmy Butler is another player, you know, iconic for drawing free throws. Sometimes he adds, you know, 10 points to his, you know, total just from free throws. I, I see it almost as, the game's got to be called fairly by the refs, but but it's a skill at the same time. You know, you're trying to draw fouls. It's not cheating, right? You're just you're playing by the rules. If you're trying to get a guy to foul you, well, you know, within the rules and what they are, that that's fine by me. It's fine by me as long as you're not doing anything against the rules. And I get the guys trying to stretch the rules all the time. You know, I think there was a rule change in the early 2000s about if you kick out on a three, 
Is that a foul? Because I think Reggie Miller or someone used to do that and guys would abuse it. So the rule was changed, but I think as long as what you're doing is within the rules until the rules change, I, I think you're fine. Welcome back to the WRSU crew here on Tuesday night, May 25th. Dylan Allen, Doug Willig. This is Locks of the Week, and, you know, where we pick a game from either tonight or, or during the week, and we, we give our little opinion on it and on, uh, you know, which game we think is the best bet. And so, Doug, I will kick it to you. What do you have for us tonight? What's your Lock of the Week? All right, so three games on the NBA slate tonight. We previewed two of them at the beginning of the show, but the three games tonight are Celtics-Nets, Lakers-Suns, and Mavs-Clippers. I oh, we, we didn't discuss Mavs-Clippers at the, in the beginning, but uh, I'm going to go with Lakers-Suns, though, for my lock. So Lakers are minus two favorite, and yeah, I, I have them covering that. I The Lakers, you know, they're on the road. They lost game one, but... I don't know if Aiden's going to shut down AD again. I think the Lakers are just kind of gelling a little bit, learning, you know, just like throwing off that rust because, you know, they miss – their stars miss a lot of games. They haven't played. Um, just like, you know, with LeBron and AD leading the rest of that team with Kuzma, Caruso, the rest of the the rest of the squad, I think they'll be – they'll bounce back. I think – I don't know if this is true, but it seems like game one might be the easiest game of a series for the worst team to win. Just because the other team, you know, doesn't know how to play against them yet, but then the better team can make adjustments for the further games. I don't know if that's true, but maybe just a theory. That being said, yeah, Lakers. I think they win by more than two, and that's why I got them there for my lock. I think that it should be a fun game, though. I think that, you know, we we already talked about this a lot. You know, Booker, Aiden, um, Paul. It, it's it's a great group, great unit. So. They definitely will put up a fight, but I think the Lakers win this one by more than two. That's my lock. All right, I dig it. I dig it. Lakers by more than two. Uh, I'm going to go with, you know, I would go with the Nets money line tonight, but um, I'm going to go with the Sixers tomorrow night. They play at 7 o'clock. I'm going to go with the Sixers money line tomorrow. They play the Washington Wizards. They had a, uh, I think it was an eight-point win last time out against Washington. Uh, Game two is tomorrow, as I said, so... I'm going to take their money line. It's minus 370. So, you know, not the best odds there, but this this uh, the segment is locks of the week. And if you want a lock, well, here's one for you. Uh, I think the Sixers win this series. I, in fact, I think they sweep this series. I don't think Washington is any match for them, really. Um, so I think the Sixers money line for game two is a good bet. Uh, even though you won't make too much money from it, it's definitely a lock and you'll definitely win something. So that's that's my pick. I, I'll I'll take I'll take Philadelphia money line against Washington tomorrow night. Yeah, that that's a great pick, Dylan. You know the NBA playoffs um, are exciting, and I just want to keep the conversation here. I think that you know what let, let let's talk briefly about the games last night. Right. Um. So Heat Bucks was a, a big win. A big a, win for a the big big win for the Bucks. I mean. It was interesting because the first quarter, they just demolished them. And then the second quarter, they kind of kept the onslaught with three-pointers. But, like, the second, third, and fourth, the score basically just remained the same. 
And this was like not a great game to watch. Like it was fun to watch at the beginning when the Bucks were just going insane. And Bryn Forbes went four or four from three. And uh yeah, but then once it kind of settled and it was just kind of like a bled game. I had it on in the background still, but wasn't super exciting. But yeah, I mean the Bucks are now up 2-0 in this series. Giannis had another big night pulling up his numbers right now. He had 31 points, 13 rebounds. Holiday had 11 points, 15 assists, 7 rebounds, so almost a triple-double there. And yeah, Middleton, he hit the game-winner in Game 1, and now they look to be in control of the series. Jimmy Butler was only 4 of 10 from the field. Duncan Robinson, only 2 of 6 after being really hot from 3 in Game 1. So the Bucks are in control. I'm not going to say the series is in the bag because the Heat beat the Bucks in 5 last year, so like they, they kind of know them. The rosters are obviously slightly different. But I think the Bucks win this one. I don't think it goes more than six. Yeah, I'm, and uh, I, yeah, I, yeah. Go ahead, Dylan. I think the big thing too for the Bucks, what's different from last year, is the acquisition of Drew Holiday. I mean, right, right. He only had eleven points in last uh, in in the game last night, but he had fifteen assists. And when you can do that and kind of just you know get the ball movement going, and he plays good defense, I think that's a great. Uh, addition to this team that they didn't have last year. I mean, they were using Eric Bledsoe to kind of fill that role, and we all know Eric Bledsoe, you know, he's a good player, but he's nowhere near Drew Holiday, and so, you know, when you can get 15 assists, I feel like this team is just much more deadly, getting the ball around the guys like Middleton who can shoot the lights out, 3 of 3 from downtown last night, Uh, and even Forbes, you pointed out, he started 4 of 4, he finished 6 of 9 from 3, had 22 points, I mean, that was second on the team, and he only played 20 minutes, so... I think with that ball movement, with that acquisition, I think that's big for Milwaukee. But let's not forget, too, Doug, the last time Milwaukee had a 2-0 series lead, uh, you know, a couple you have to go back a couple years, it was against the Raptors and Kawhi Leonard, and they managed to lose that series, I believe, 4-2. They lost four straight, and they started 2-0 on that one, and it looked like it was Milwaukee from, from start to finish, and, you know, Toronto just turned it around and ended up winning the NBA Finals that year, so... If you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan, if you're a Milwaukee Bucks player, you know don't get too ahead of yourself because Miami is still a great team. They just had an off night, in my opinion. Uh, Kendrick Nunn, 4 of 14. Adebayo, 5 of 11. Butler, 4 of 10. Just not great shooting numbers for them as a team. And, and you know, Milwaukee just, right out of the gate, just was just dominant. So expect Miami to put up better, you know, numbers at their at their next two home games in games three and four, but I think the Bucks are you know got a really good uh, a really nice start off to this series. So I, I like Milwaukee winning this series. I don't know about you, Doug. Maybe yes, Miami, I agree. maybe Miami will win one or two. I just think Drew Holiday just takes them to the next level um, to the team that they you know the team that they had last year. They just needed that kind of a player, and now they have him. So I think Milwaukee's taking that big step, and I think they'll be a pretty good contender this year. Agreed, and I think, well, here's this. I agree that they'll win the series, but I don't think that they will beat the Sixers or Nets in a series. I think I think they could beat the Sixers. I don't think they could beat the Nets. Interesting. So my so let, let, let's get this. So my rankings would be Nets, Sixers, Bucks, most likely to come out of the East. Right. And I guess for for you, it's Nets, Bucks, Sixers. I, listen, I think the Sixers would win. I just think Milwaukee has a good shot, and I wouldn't be surprised Word. if they Got did it. win. Oh, okay. Got it. If Got they it. beat so the you... Sixers. Got it. Yeah. I Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think with the Sixers, obviously, Embiid is 
basically unstoppable. You could argue best center in the NBA, but just definitely top two along with Jokic. Ben Simmons is an elite defender, might win defensive player of the year this year. Tobias Harris is really stepped up. I I don't want to. I feel like he's kind of underrated just because he yeah. brings in twenty point games. He's been great. I believe he had. Did he have thirty seven in game one? Am I remembering wrong? I, yeah, I he had thirty seven points in game one, and Embiid had thirty. Right. So that thirty seven was a career high. I, I yeah, I do remember that. I saw that. So just yeah, I think the Sixers are good. For, I think they're going to make the Eastern Conference Finals and then lose to the Nets. I'm biased as a Nets fan when I say that. It'll probably be an interesting series. Great matchup because I'm getting ahead of myself assuming Sixers-Nets happens because it you know, it might, it might not. But if it does, um, it'll just be really interesting just because Embiid is a, such a dominant big man and the Nets don't really have that in their starting lineup or even on their bench. DeAndre Jordan's kind of been shifted out of the rotation. LaMarcus Aldridge had to retire midseason. Claxton's certainly good, but like he's young and probably not ready to guard Embiid. Uh, and then that's kind of it. Could, they have. Could, go ahead. Could Blake Griffin, you know, guard or do any kind of work on him? Because I know he's, you know, a bigger dude, but I know he's also not a center. Yeah, it's weird. Griffin started game one. He hasn't been starting regularly in the regular season. So I don't know, like, what the plan is there. I. Uh, He's cut. He's how tall is Blake Griffin? Isn't he like six eight? I think he's like six eight, six nine. I'm gonna Google this real quick. But I don't know if he's big enough to guard him Embiid because he's, he's six, six nine. Right. So he's six nine, and Embiid is like seven one or so, maybe right. like seven foot. So I don't know if he's big enough. I feel like in the post, uh, Embiid could probably body him. So. But the thing is, I don't know if the Nets need an answer for Embiid, though, just because they have Durant, Harden, and Irving on offense. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and also an elite shooter in Joe Harris. It's just, even if they don't have anyone who can... That'll be like a great series, if that happens. I'm getting ahead of myself, though. Let's let's stick back to these series that are happening. Last night, we also saw Blazers versus Nuggets. Uh, Nicole Jokic is likely going to win the MVP award for the regular season. And last night, he kind of showed why. I know playoffs doesn't count for regular season or count for MVP, but he went 15-20 from the field in Game 2 last night for 38 points, 8 rebounds, and 5 assists. Porter Jr. also, who was up for most improved player, had 18 points. Gordon had 13. And, yeah, they 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 like did not shut down the Blazers entirely because Lillard had 42 and was like lights out from 3. But they won this game handily, had a nice second half. Lillard, after hitting eight three-pointers in the first half, which is insane, only hit one in the second half, and the Nuggets tied this series at one. So, yeah, I think that this this series has the potential to go seven. I'm not saying it will, but you have Lillard, who is a lights-out shooter. You have Jokic, who is a MVP candidate. I don't know which way this series is going to go, but it's been fun so far. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy too, Doug, because I'm looking at the numbers. Portland shot... 48.5% from three as a team. They shot 16 wow. of 33. And, you know, Lillard had nine of the 16 makes, but and he took just about half of half of the shots as the team did, but still 48% from there, and they still lost by almost 20 points. Uh, it's kind of crazy to, to look at that and to see that number. Uh, but, you know, but Denver shot 54% as a team from the floor and 43% from three. 
it was just an all-out offense, uh, offensive game for both sides. I think this game will go seven games, six or seven games in my opinion. I don't know who's going to win, though, because it's just like Damian Lillard has been playing just ridiculous the first two games. They were able to win the first one, and they lost this one, and Jokic with 38 points too. I mean, if they don't have an answer for Jokic, I feel like Portland's going to have a real tough time kind of, you know, with without Damian, with, with Damian Lillard with his stuff, I mean— and McCollum with 21, there's no one really outside of that other than Carmelo Anthony, and he only had five. So, I mean, there's not real much to go off of there. Uh, so it's kind of just, I feel like if they don't have an answer for Jokic, it, it might be a shorter series than everyone predicts. But you know, I think this is one of the most, one of the more underrated series uh, in all the in all the playoffs. Though I think these teams, did they not face off like last year or the last couple of years? In the playoffs, the Nuggets yeah. and Blazers played, I believe, in 2019, and I think that series went seven. Yeah, and I think the Blazers went to the the conference finals, right, and played um, and Golden State and played they Golden got State swept. and got swept. Yeah, right. so that was the last time I remember these two teams really going at it in the playoffs. Um, so it, we'll see. Last time it went seven games. This time it's tied at one. It's gonna go back to Portland for games three and four. So we'll see how they respond there. But you know, just. Just an all-out offensive night for the for the likely MVP Nikola Jokic, thirty-eight points you pointed out, and Lillard with forty-two, the game-high scorer. So, I, I think if Lillard can continue that, I think you know they have a real good shot at this at this series. Um, and you know, one other game we really haven't talked about either, which is actually being played tonight at ten thirty on T on NBA TV, is the Clippers versus the Dallas Mavericks uh, right. at the Staples Center. Um, so, interesting and- interesting game here. Dallas won the first game. They lead the series one to nothing, and I believe they won that game by by ten points, one thirteen to one hundred three. So, I know you like to go off of the the BPI from ESPN, Doug. I'll tell you what they're giving them. They're saying the Clippers have a sixty two percent chance, and the wow. Ma- and the Mavericks have a thirty eight percent chance. So, a little interesting there, considering the Clippers lost by ten in game one. That is interesting, and yeah, I. It's weird. I mean, the Clippers, I feel, have a very legitimate shot at winning the title. I would say they're probably, in my in my opinion, I think they're one of the top four teams that could win the championship this year, that being the Lakers, Clippers, Nets, and Sixers. Last year, it was a very unfortunate end for them. They had that 3-1 lead on the Nuggets and then just blew leads in games 5, 6, and 7. And the Nuggets eventually made the Western Conference Finals. I I think, I mean, Kawhi Leonard's like a quiet guy. We all know that. He was great. Won finals MVP in 2014. People kind of forgot about him for a little bit. He came back 2019 on the Raptors, and people weren't really picking the Raptors to win the finals, and then they, they did. Definitely got help from Kevin Durant getting injured. But I feel like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, that whole group, you know, they traded for Rondo. They got an interesting team there. And I really think this team has title aspirations. They are down on one. This is a big game two tonight because you, I mean, being down down 0-2 is not detrimental. We've seen teams come back from 0-2 and win series, you know, on many occasions. Right. But you def, you don't, you don't want to be down 0-2, though. Like, that's not something that you want. And now that the Clippers are at home, I, I feel like this is an important game for them to win. Just with what happened last year where they were up 3-1 and they really blew that title chance. You know, I feel like this is a championship-quality team, and you just don't want to be down 0-2 in round one. 
Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you, Doug. I, I, I actually picked the Clippers to win the finals last year. You know, when the playoffs were just getting started, I thought they had the more complete team compared to the Lakers in terms of depth pieces, and I felt like they were better defensively. I picked them to win, and when they blew that 3-1 to one lead, you know, I kind of just sat there and I was just like, you know, it was kind of in awe in a sense because I, I, I never would have thought they would have blow, they would have blow, uh, blown a 3-1 lead. So, you know, kind of with, with Kawhi and Paul George and all those guys that they have, so a little surprising there. And, you know, something else to note too, I'm, I'm reading this now and I didn't even realize because it feels like the other day that he signed with them, but Kawhi Leonard is a free agent after this year. Um, so, you know, if the Clippers do not make it far enough, and let's just say, you know, he plays his tail off and the team just doesn't do well. Do you think there's any chance that he, you know, he might leave the Clippers this offseason? Uh, it's a player option, is that right? I think he has the option to leave or he's right. the option to stay another year, right, right, right. I think. So I think that, I think the thing with Kawhi, it's, he's really hard to predict because unlike other players, you know, they have big social media presences, you know, they kind of talk a lot, uh, whether it's just, trash talking or regular talking, but with Kawhi, you know, he doesn't have like an Instagram account. He has a Twitter account, but he hasn't tweeted since like 2014. So he kind of keeps to himself in those regards. I think he keeps to a circle. He, I believe, or I don't believe, I remember that he signed with the Clippers because he has family in Southern California. So I think that if he takes that into account, he might stay. Obviously, I don't know Kawhi Leonard. I don't know what he's thinking. But I think the thing is that kind of no one knows that really. And that's why I would not be surprised either way. I won't be surprised if he opts out and kind of decides to leave just because with him, people thought that, oh, you know, he's going to love the Spurs. He will never want to leave there. And then he forced a trade and ended up in Toronto. And then they won the finals and people are like, oh, okay, he's not going to leave Toronto. You know, they just started something there. And then he left for the Clippers. And a lot of people thought he was going to be signing with the Lakers and he ended up going with the Clippers. So whatever he does, I think the most important thing to remember is that they just expect to be surprised. Like if he decides to opt out and go somewhere else, I would not be surprised. I think that he's kind of a guy that doesn't I see see this is tough because I don't want to like speculate and right. say stuff that's just like brilliantly not true, but it seems that he doesn't really care about the media narrative around them. So I think he's just gonna do what he wants. Right, and I, I just brought it up because I, I found it interesting. I, I kind of forgot that he, that he had a player option in the deal that he signed because, like I said, it felt like the other, you know, it doesn't feel too long ago that he signed the contract with the Clippers. So I was just reading up on the game news, and, you know, Stephen A. Smith said that Kawhi could leave, and so then I was just like, oh, I didn't even realize that, you know, he had an option this year, so I found that interesting. And some, some, some other NBA news that just came out, Doug, Julius Randle was named the NBA's most improved player of the year. In my opinion, you know, that was kind of expected. I think he was the heavy favorite to win that award, but just give me some of your thoughts about that. And who else was up for that award? It was Michael Porter Jr., I think, and someone else. I don't remember the third, but... I don't remember either. Right, that's very interesting. I'm going to pull this up right now. Uh, That's interesting because that story just broke, like, minutes ago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I just got the alert on my phone maybe, like, a minute ago, so... Right, yeah, so that's big. That's big for him, and he's had a great year. You know, he played in Los Angeles and New Orleans before coming to the Knicks, and he's just had a big season for them. And, you know, like we mentioned earlier in the show, Knicks haven't been in the playoffs since 2013, so he's kind of led the renaissance there, the rebirth of that team. I don't know how far they're going to make it in the playoffs, but just the fact that they made it and has a 4C with home, home, field, or home court advantage, 
He's been big for the Knicks this year, kind of been their leader, definitely starting that culture build in New York. Good for him, definitely deserved. Yeah, and, and, and bringing them to the playoffs for the first time since 2013 as well uh, is also another pro- probably another reason why he got the award, but, you know, he has really solidified himself as one as being one of the top players in the league. Uh, I think he's averaging 27, or at least in the season, he was averaging 27 points, or um, yeah, 27 points. I believe 11 rebounds and you know five and a half assists, and so that that's a great year for him. And I, he took a real big step too. If you remember when they signed him, you know, three years ago, everyone was kind of laughing at the signing, and you know I don't blame him either because I was kind of upset by it too you give the guy six or 40 years 64 million dollars and you know he really doesn't play up to that contract until this year and so you don't really see it coming but it was just uh a great season that no one was really expecting and he definitely deserves it in my opinion so i'm looking i'm looking at i'm looking at the most improved player finalists it was michael porter jr julius randall and jeremy grant for the pistons who also had a, a a uh Pretty good year for the Pistons, but as I just announced, Julius Randle won that. So those were your top three, right? Yeah, that that's good stuff. And Dylan, it's so it's six fifty two. So I guess we'll keep it the rest of the way if that's cool with you. No breaks. I think yeah. we can keep it till seven. Yeah. So you know, if you're just tuning in, WRC crew today, we're going six to seven instead of six to eight. Um, so we'll be cutting it off at seven, putting some music on. But yeah, it's just it's. Um, it was just announced yesterday that Jordan Clarkson won uh, sixth man, and now today we're hearing Julius Randle won most improved. Of course, all these award announcements are leading up to the big one, of course, most valuable player. Uh, the three candidates for that are Embiid, Curry, and Jokic, and it seems overwhelmingly likely, you know, multiple media members that have disclosed their votes or have indicated they will vote for Jokic. And I, I think it's just, you know, probably a foregone conclusion. And uh, just a quick point, you know, the NBA this year decided to do away with the NBA award show. They didn't have one last year due to COVID, but before that, they kind of were doing an award show each year. So I think an interesting decision there uh, to just kind of announce these awards throughout the playoffs. Uh, Dylan, yeah, just we got seven more minutes left. Should we touch on Rutgers Athletics quick? I have nothing really going on super important. Uh, Sure, I mean, we can wrap it up with that, Doug. I mean, but... That's true. We we right, go ahead. We we went over just a little bit about the Clippers Mavericks. We didn't really honestly from my perspective, we really didn't talk too much about the actual game tonight. Just quick thoughts and then we'll head right. over to Rutgers for a couple yeah. minutes. Sounds good. Yeah, let's touch on that and then we can touch on Rutgers for the last 5 minutes. Yeah. So Clippers Mavericks, obviously Luka Doncic, the 21-year-old who plays like he is a tier 1 superstar. I mean, he's insane, but the Clippers of course are also they're down 0-1, and I just don't think – like, I think, you know, the game's at Staples Center. I think they should be good to win this one. Uh, the game two, uh, just pulling it up right now, like you said, they have a 62% chance – the Clippers have a 62% chance of winning. They are a seven-point favorite. This game tipping off late at 10:30. Luka, of course, in the regular season, averaged 28 a game. He's been pretty unstoppable, but I don't know. I just think that the Clippers are not going to want to go down 0-2. I think Kawhi has a good game. I think that Paul George steps up. I think the rest of that roster will learn to click, and I think they that they they pick they get this game. What do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I want to agree, too. I, I think it'll be a very close game. I think the Clippers will win this one in the end, but kind of just to highlight, Luke Adonich had 31 points, but he also had a triple-double with 10 rebounds and 11 assists, and he shot 5 of 11 from 3. Um, so he had a great, great game one, and, you know, Kawhi had 26 points, Paul George had 23, but Kawhi shot 9 of 22, and Paul George shot 8 of 18. So, you know, not crazy numbers there, and... Kawhi shooting one of six from three, and Paul George two of eight. I think that they have a much better outing tonight in game two. Uh, I think they shoot the ball just a lot better overall. I think that they, I think you're right. I mean, no team wants to start 0 2 going to Dallas, but, you know, I, I, I think that this is the better team and they're the better seed for a reason. I think that they just had a shaky first game, uh, and I think that they'll, be, they'll play much better in game two. I think they'll win, and I, I think you're right. I think Paul George. Needs to step it up a little bit, and I think he will tonight. I think the Clippers will win in a close game yet again. I still think Luka will have a great night as well. I just think that the supporting cast that Donich had in Game 1, I don't think it'll be there because they shot 47% as a team from 3 in Game 1 and 50% as a team in uh, from the floor. Uh, I, I don't think that'll happen again, so I think because of that, I think the Clippers will you know, just barely beat the Mavericks tonight and tie it up at one apiece. Um, but... To kind of wrap things up for the last couple of minutes here, Doug, you said you wanted to talk about Rutgers athletics. Uh, so, what would you like to? What would you have in mind? Yeah, um, you know, yeah, we talked fifty-six minutes about NBA, so I think yeah, four minutes for Rutgers athletics is good. That's not usually the yeah. distribution we do on the crew, but why not? So, Rutgers baseball just wrapped up a three-game series against Michigan State. I called one of those. I called one of those three games. They. Ended up losing two of the three. They lost 14-8 to eight on Sunday against Michigan State. They have a, a three-game series coming up against Illinois this weekend. Dylan, you'll be calling one of those games, right? Uh, I think I'm actually producing. I think I'm calling oh. one and, and, and producing one. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that should be fun. You know, we've at WRSU, we've been calling baseball the Rutgers baseball games in person from Baden Field. The game I called, it's funny, I called a game with Mike Nichols on Friday, and it was super hot, and, you know, obviously we are under that, like, covering, so we're in the shade a little bit, but part of our table was in the sun, and my phone actually got so hot that it, like, shut down, and then the Annex and the Jetpack got in the sun a little bit, and then they disconnected at one point, and, uh, you know, Mike and I ended up missing half of the inning for our call, so I know this isn't really typical of Rutgers baseball analysis, but just stories from... Uh, calling our game and it's just fun it's been fun calling Rutgers baseball games this year um just fun calling sports in general really I mean all these remote broadcasts we've been having to do when you get to call those live games it's fun it's it's fun to do stuff in person you know Dylan you just called the spring game with um the other Dylan we have Dylan McCoy and Christian yeah so it's, it's just great to call football baseball and come fall once we get those full arenas uh, it's just be fun to call Scarlet Night Night Athletics. Uh, Big Ten's just a fun conference for all these sports. It's it's just really fun. It's fun to call these games. Yeah, and you know, I tell you what, for that spring game, it was difficult because there were just a lot of random guys on on Rutgers that I just had no idea even existed. Like just when they would come on the field, I I would try and look through the you know pages of rosters, and then half of them changed their numbers. So. It was it was difficult to kind of identify them, but that was my first Rutgers football call, and so I, I had a lot of fun. Uh, but for the baseball, I am producing on Friday, and I'm calling the game on Sunday. 
So, and those are against Illinois. So those should be interesting. Is that your first baseball call, or you've done a couple already? No, I've done like three or four baseball calls already. Got it. Um, got it. Last one I was at though, my computer got kind of damaged. So hopefully, uh, oh, what yeah, happened there? Some water fell off the tent and got all over my my uh, the keyboard. So my God. Yeah. So I'm gonna try and fix it soon. Uh, we'll see with that. But uh, you know, to kind of wrap up the crew tonight. We're approaching seven o'clock. We talked a lot about the NBA. Some action coming on, you know, next couple of nights with the Knicks and Hawks. Those three games tonight with Boston and Brooklyn tipping off at 7.30 on TNT. The Lakers and the Phoenix Suns on Game 2, 10 o'clock Eastern, a part of the TNT doubleheader. And then at 10.30 on NBA TV, it'll be Dallas against the Clippers as Dallas leads that one one to nothing. Phoenix leads their series one to nothing, and Brooklyn is leading their series one to nothing. I hope you guys enjoyed the Tuesday night's edition of The Crew. I hope you guys enjoyed The Crew. We will see you guys next time.